you have your Bibles, you turn them to Acts chapter 17. Appreciate that. Acts chapter 17. If you don't have an outline, it's right there at the center doors in the ministry counter. We're going to continue in our series, Unstoppable, where we're going through the book of Acts and learning that we're being unstoppable people in an unstoppable church. There, there's a passage in Scripture that Jesus says in John chapter 14. And you, you know the passage when I start saying it. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. And he goes on and says, if it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, be with me. You may be where I am. He says, you know that the place where I'm going. Over the years, I've heard all kinds of explanations about this passage of Scripture, the many rooms, the mansions, the dwelling places. One writer said there's all kinds of rooms and mansions in the presence of God. There's one for Baptists. There's one for Catholics. There's one for Jehovah's Witness. There's one for Islam. There's one for Buddhists. There's one for Hindus. There's room for everybody because everybody's going to wind up in the same place. You know, it's amazing to me that even in recent surveys among evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, and I say Bible-believing with kind of tongue-in-cheek, because the surveys relate that there's an amazing percentage of those people who believe that there's many ways to God, that Jesus is not the only way. Can you believe that? If you're a student of the Word of God, I don't know how you could believe that. But Jesus kind of said it with clarity and, and kind of like, with the conclusions of that topic when, when Philip asked him, the, I mean, Thomas asked him the question, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said those words that you and I are so familiar with in John 14, 6, where he says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what he said. And where Jesus says, that ended the discussion when he said that, right? That Jesus came down and he said, there's only one way. And the only way is through Jesus. There's not two ways, three ways, five ways, ten ways. He said there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to God the Father, and it's through his Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that. But the question I have for you this morning is this. What is our responsibility to help people who don't know that God come to know him? What is our responsibility as being a follower of Jesus Christ? What is it? You know, last week I challenged you. Remember, we talked about the... Jewish mezuzah. Remember we talked about that? And I said, it's your either use your watch. I said, I use my watch when I put it on. It reminds me. Uh, did you try that this week? Please, somebody say yes. Say yes. Come on. Make me feel good to this morning. Say yes, we tried that. Every morning when I get up, I put this on. I reminded my wife this week. She like says, what time is it? It's, what time is it? What do you put it on? Say, mission time. She's got it. What time is it we put on a mezuzah, a reminder? It's mission time. They were on mission. They were on mission to represent Jesus and to present Jesus. Amen? That's what we're to do, to represent Jesus, to present Jesus to a world. I heard a story of a timid man who woke up every morning with this same challenge, on, to be on mission for Jesus. And he would say, Lord, if you want me to share with somebody that today, give me a sign. So every day we would pray that. And he didn't get a sign, but he continued to pray that prayer. And one day he got on a bus, and, and uh, as he got on this bus, a, a burly, big burly man also got on the bus. And the bus was empty, all kind of empty seats. But this big burly man sat next to this timid guy. And this timid guy's thinking to himself, man, I can't wait till I get off this bus and get away from this guy. Then after a few minutes, this big burly guy just shouted out, can anybody help me? My life's a mess. I'm a sinner. I need hope. Can anybody tell me about Jesus? And he turns to this timid guy and says, can you tell me about Jesus? 
And this timid guy kind of bowed his head and said, Lord, is this a sign? And so many times, understand, we're not looking for signs, are we? We're just looking for obedience. God wants us to obey him. And so many times we say, I'm looking for signs. And God said, just be obedient. Just obey what I've already given you. Please turn your Bibles in Acts chapter 17. If I could have a map this morning up there on the screen. Paul is starting his second missionary journey. He's taken with him. Silas is with him. They come over here and they go through Derby. They come to Lystra. Lystra is where they pick up young Timothy. Timothy is now with them. They go to Timothy. They come over here and they go in and through Asia. But the Holy Spirit keeps them from speaking to Asia. They say, well, we want to go up here to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit stops them from speaking to Bithynia, going up to Bithynia and going to that direction. So they go over here to Troas, and Paul has a vision, uh, a Macedonian call, that tells them to come over here to Macedonia and share the gospel. So Paul is going to go over here, obeying God's will, believing this is God's will for him. So he goes across here, heads over to Macedonia, which is Europe today, modern-day Europe. He goes to Minneapolis goes to Philippi, comes down here, and if I can see this map, goes to Thessalonica, my hand steady, Berea, and then he comes down all the way through here to Athens. Everybody see that? Athens. Athens is where we are today in Acts chapter 17. So hopefully you have your Bibles there in Acts chapter 17. So he comes to Athens, but here's the truth for us this morning. If we're going to be an unstoppable church, unstoppable people, we have to stand strong in the defense of the one true God. We have to share his message. To a world who desperately needs to hear it. Amen? The world needs to hear that message. So if you have your outline, helping people to know Jesus, the first thing we need to do is identify false worship. Know where they're coming from, in other words. So the first thing we need to do, so identify false worship. Let's read Acts chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well in the marketplace, day by day to those, with those who had happened to be there. When you read those verses and you think of Athens, Athens was the intellectual capital of the world during the Greek Empire. Now the Greek era and all its glory has kind of faded. It probably peaked out around the 4th or 5th century B.C. And now it wasn't all of what it was. Now what it's kind of reduced down is really uh, idolatry. It's just producing idolatry. And so Paul is walking around the city, and he sees all these different idols and these images wherever he goes. And perhaps some of those images that he sees, those idols, have inscriptions to those gods. And it's the whole Greek pantheon, and there's a lot of them, a lot of them, those gods they had. And so the Bible says that Paul was greatly distressed. The English Standard Version said the spirit was provoked within him. That's another word was infuriated. Paul was infuriated what he saw there. Why? Would, how would you feel if you walked around there and you see the, you saw these people worshiping all these false gods. And, and if Paul, the passage doesn't tell us, but I can assume that Paul looked at this with his background, thinking there's only one God. What are these people doing? There's only one God. And all these cheap substitutes are never going to answer the questions of the human heart. They're never going to be able to help these people. Not one. Not one. Not any. They won't be able to help them, not even a little bit. And so he's looking at this, and Paul was probably thinking of the Ten Commandments where God says, you shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not create any false idols or anything like that. And he's going through a city that claims to be intellectual, and they claims to be, uh, there were men who were philosophizing. They were looking for something new. They were all wrapped up in their idolatry and their, their demon worship and all that. And Paul is in 
infuriated. He's infuriated. He's very upset what he's seeing there. But I like what it says in the very next verse. It says that he reasoned. Infuriated people usually don't reason very well, do they? They usually don't. It, it, in fact, it's a fact of life. In marriage, if emotions get high, reason goes out the window, doesn't it? If you're upset with somebody, usually reason goes out the window. So how is it that Paul could be infuriated, yet he could reason here? How could he possibly do that? Because of the people. He looked at the people. See, these people were looking for some way to meet the needs of the human heart, and they needed to know about Jesus. And he knew that. What they need is, is Jesus is what they really need. And Ephesians 6 reminds us that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against other people. It's not against the things that you and I can see out there. People, that's not our enemy. That's not the enemy. But the enemy, it says, is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. He says the, our, our, the enemy out there, our war and our battle is against the evil that is out there. Satan and his demonic force, all those, that's what's the, the battle. It's not the people. The de demons and Satan are influencing those people. It's not the people. So we're to love people. And Paul loved people. So he reasoned with these people is what the Bible said. He was reasoning with them. And it says in verse 18 through 21 that a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Maybe you think that about me. What is this babbler trying to say this morning? And, and, and it says, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting there in the Areopagus, where they said to him, maybe you know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul, while he was infuriated what was going on around him, he saw that he loved the people. And it said he disputed with them. Disputed is defined to engage in a discussion, and it involves speaking and listening. Speaking and listening when it talks about disputing. And Paul knew who, to whom he was speaking. Some were Epicureans and some were Stoics. The Epicureans were following a man by the name of Epicurus, who died in 270 B.C. In his basic philosophy of life, his teachings, his thesis was the chief goal in the end of man is to pursue pleasure and happiness. That's what it is. That's what they thought. Pursue pleasure and happiness. At all other expense, that's what you're to do. The word Epicurean means pleasure. So it's pleasure and happiness. Now also, there were the Stoics there. The Stoics were much more rational, intellectual. And the Stoics were following a man by the name of Zeno, who died in 250 B.C. And his basic teaching was this, that there's some major, uh, some master purpose in the universe. We have to find our role or how we become aligned with that purpose in life. That's what we have to do. And it brought out some noble characters and people, but it brought out a lot of pride in those people. Because the Stoics thought they had all the answers. They had all the answers. So the Bible says that Paul is disputing with them. But it also reminds us of Jesus when he ministered here on this earth, didn't he? He knew to whom he was speaking. He understood them. When he was confronted with the Jewish leaders or the religious leaders, people who thought they had it all together, Paul confronted, I mean, Jesus confronted them and shared with them the law because they thought they were keeping the law. So he, he shared with them the law to show that they weren't keeping the law and they weren't as good as they thought they were. When he was interacting with other people who were sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, Jesus didn't share with them the law. They knew they were sinners, right? People told them they were sinners. 
But he shared with them about God's love. And he brought healing and, 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 and hope to these people. So he knew to whom he was speaking. And you and I today, we need to know who we're speaking to. Rather than just unloading our truckload of information, the biblical truth of everything that we've ever learned on them, and sharing, I'm just going to go right to the chase and share it all with them to try to, I don't know, to impress them or whatever, and overwhelm them, we have to find out where they're at in their lives. We have to stop and kind of talk to them. We have to find out to whom we are speaking. What are their hurts? What are their beliefs? What are their challenges? What are their thoughts about things? What are their dreams and plans and visions? What is their religious background? And when you find this out and understand and know this, we, be, we can begin to have points of contact with people where we can share about the love of Jesus, and we can start to build that relationship. That's what we're called to do, is build that relationship. But we need to stand for truth, right? We can't compromise on that. There is only one true God, and the only way of knowing him is through who? Come on, wake up. The only way of knowing God is through who? Jesus, right? That's the only way. We cannot compromise with that, right? We cannot compromise with that. We cannot find common ground with every group of people out there. We can't. You're not going to find common ground with many of them. With our every cult or every Christian cult or every world religion, we're not going to find common ground. The emphasis today in, in trying our tolerant society is trying to be accepting of all. Even to the point where we say we're all going to go to the same place. We just have different roads of getting there. I mean, who said that? Jesus never said that. In fact, Jesus said, narrow is the gate to get to heaven because there's only one way through Jesus. But broad is the gate to hell, right? Because just do your own thing. Follow the religions of the world. Follow what the world is doing, and you're wind up there. But narrow, narrow, very narrow is the gate to get to heaven because it's only through one person. It's a person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that. And so that brings us to the second point, helping people to know Jesus. We have to find a way to connect with them. Find a way. And that's what Paul was doing. He was trying to find a way to connect with them. When I say connect, I mean points of contact. How can I have points of contact with them? And so let's read verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meaning of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now that word religious can be positive or negative, that you are saying that you're very religious, or it could be interpreted, you are very superstitious. And he's just kind of claiming, uh, this is where they're at, recognizing where they are. And verse 23 says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim him to you. So Paul is connecting with them, and, he, and he's finding that connecting point. And he speaks to the very fact, he says, you are very religious trying to connect with them. Imagine Paul, he's walking through the city, and he has to be thinking, how many gods do they have in this Greek pantheon? How many gods are there really are around here? There was many of them, many of them. And everywhere I go, I see these different gods. And everywhere I go, I, I see these people worshiping those gods and sacrificing to those gods. And I see them bound down to those gods, and I see them praying to those gods, and I see them touching those gods. I see them in the marketplace. I see them everywhere. Then Paul says this. He says, I saw this monument inscribed to an unknown god. God. They wanted to cover themselves in case they missed a God, so they put to an unknown God. And so, so he says to this monument, to this unknown God, and Paul looked at this and he says, that's it. That's my connecting point. That's how I'm going to connect with these people. And he goes on and he says, I saw this altar to this unknown God. Let me tell you about him. He wants them to go from unknown to known. This unknown God, I want to make him 
known to you. I want to tell you about this God because he is the only true God. So he's focused on that. And as you and I reach out to people in the world in our sphere of influence, we've got to find, we have to find points of contact with other people. We have to. And those points of contact maybe are hobbies, maybe are work, maybe are children, maybe are religious background, com- comparing, contrasting with them. But those points of contact become discussion starters with other people. We're able to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we can take them from unknown to known because we want them to know Jesus. But we have to start where people are. We have to be positive, not negative and tear them down and, no, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. But we have to be positive. But we have to speak the truth. And we can't compromise on the truth, right? We can't compromise on the truth to try to reach people. The third point in helping people to know Jesus, and this is real important, we have to introduce them to the one true God. We have to introduce them to the one true God. We're never going to love anybody to heaven. You know that, don't you? Some people think that. You might be surprised. I just want to love them. But you're never going to love anybody to heaven. You sooner or later got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? They're only going to come and get to heaven through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to share with them that God had a plan. God has a plan. And his plan was he created this world. And then he created the human beings to be on this world, Adam and Eve. But then there was a fall in the garden. They sinned in the garden. And because of that sin, the whole world fell. And it affected the plan of God that now mankind, people, human beings, were separated from God. There's nothing we could do about it. So God sent his son, Jesus, from heaven. Who is God? Jesus is God. You understand that. And he came to heaven. And then he went to the cross. And he died on the cross for our sins. He was your substitute on that cross. He paid for your sins. And when he died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. And every person has to respond to that message. We have a responsibility to respond to that message. That's the gospel. We share the gospel, but then the other person we're sharing it with has a responsibility. And you have a responsibility to respond to that message. And Paul was saying to them, you worship this unknown God. Let me tell you about him. I want you to know him. So look what he says in these next verses, 24 through 26. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. It does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For one man he made every nation of men that he should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. So what Paul was saying here is this unknown God that you worship, that you can't identify, let me tell you about him. That this God is a really, really big God. And he goes, goes, this God is really big. That he created everything. There's nothing you can't see what you can see with your eyes that he didn't create. He created it all. Everything he created. And all the nations of the world came from one man, Adam. This really big God did all this. He did all this. And by the way, This really big God who created all things and sustains us all with his powerful hands, including you, he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything created from your hands because this God is self-sufficient. He's God. We need from him, but he doesn't need anything from us. We need him. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, and I love these words. Listen to them very closely. He says, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, 
but they never quite keep up to the promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or, or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that it was made for another world. Something supernatural. Something eternal is what he's saying. And all the gods the Greeks could offer, and there was a lot of them, couldn't meet the needs of the human heart. Not one of them could ever meet the needs. And Paul knew that. He knew that. And Paul says, wait a minute. That God that you are worshiping, that you do not know, that unknown God, let me tell you about him. He is a really, really big God. And he created all things. He's the creator of the universe. And he doesn't need anything from you. And when you come to know this really big God, he says, you understand that those other gods make no sense and you've got to put them out of your life because they're nothing. They're nothing. They're false idols. And that's what he's coming to the point. And Paul is making these points of contact by even quoting their own poets. In verse 27, he says that they should seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Then his verse 29 is going to really hit it. Now, I want to share with you what he's, what he's saying to them. He said, if we are God's offspring, then the idols that we worship don't make any sense, he's saying. Because if God is greater than we are, and God made us, and we make the idols, we worship those idols that we're greater than. He says it doesn't make any sense. Let me try to ex explain it to you again. The God who is greater than us, we all agree upon that, right? So if God created us, God is not going to worship us, is he? Because he's greater than us. God made us. Now here we are on earth, and we make these idols. Why would we worship an idol that we're greater than? And Paul is bringing it to their point to say, it doesn't make any sense what you're doing. It doesn't make sense. Verse 29, let's read it. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. No image could confine or define an almighty God who created all things and sustains all things. No image can. No image can do that. And therefore, any attempt at that is not only a joke, but it's blasphemy and a violation of the commandments. And what Paul was saying is, don't do it. Don't do that. It's wrong to do that. Then he talks to them how they can come to know this God. He gives it to them. How you can come to know him, verse 30 and 31. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent means to change your mind, to turn. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man Jesus he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. He says, you know this man, you know this God through Jesus, the one who came and lived and died on the cross for your sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That's all in God. And what he's saying, this Jesus came from the grave. Salvation is through Jesus. There's only one way to God the Father. There's only one way to get to heaven, and it is through Jesus. It's not through these idols. These idols can't do anything for you. You made these idols. They can't do anything for you. It's only through Jesus. Then Paul is going to answer another question. The why to them. The why. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, 
or he has been patient with you, is what that really means. But now, this one, Jesus, is going to one day judge all people, is what he's saying. We will one day stand before him. To anybody who doesn't know Jesus yet, there's an urgency about this. We all have an appointment with Jesus. Do you realize that? Every one of us have an appointment with Jesus. We don't know when that appointment is. But every one of us is going to stand before Jesus, and we're going to either hear, this is very important for you to understand, we're either going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, welcome into my kingdom, or we're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Those who practice lawlessness or iniquity are you evildoers. One of those two things we're going to hear from Jesus. But we're all going to stand before Jesus, right? We're all going to stand before him. One day, every one of us is going to have that appointment. If you don't know Jesus... You have an appointment you're not ready for. And my challenge for you is to get ready. To get ready for that appointment is what we should do. I did a message a, a few weeks ago to bring in the new year. Do you remember that message? It was about the, the three most important days of your life. Do you remember that? Somebody say yes. Make me feel good this morning. Say yes. It was just a few weeks ago. You can't. You got to remember that. And I said the, the first most important day of your life, what was it? What was it? The day you accepted Jesus, say it out. The day you accepted Jesus is the most important day of your life that you ever have, the day I accepted Jesus. The second most important day is the day that you meet Jesus. See, now we've come to him with eyes of faith. One day we're going to meet him face to face. Every one of us is going to meet him face to face. And this is not some kind of fairy tale. This is really going to happen. It's a fact. It's going to happen for every one of us. And God has planned is being worked out. And God is doing all things, all kind of things to orchestrating his plan. One of the plans that he has, that you and I have an appointment with Jesus. Every one of us are going to stand before Jesus. Every one of us are going to stand before him. And we don't know when that appointment's going to be. We don't know when that's going to happen. But every one of us is going to one day stand before Jesus. And the message to all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you say, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I know him. I put my faith and trust in him. We've got, then all of you I'm talking to, that we've got information to prepare people for that meeting. So why in the world wouldn't we share it with them? They need to be prepared for that meeting because they have a meeting with Jesus one day they're not ready for. And you and I know the way to get for that meeting, prepared for that meeting. And it's only one way, it's through Jesus. So we say if, I, if we love God and if we love people, then we can't be silent, right? We have to be on mission. We have to be faithful. We have to say, I love that person. And the only thing that's going to keep them from going from the judgment seat of Christ, which is all believers will go through, that other one, the great white throne judgment, is Jesus Christ, is accepting him while they're in this life, putting their faith and trust in Jesus. So in this life, we have to stand up for truth, that there's only one God, and there's only one way of knowing that God, and it's through who? Come on, it's through who? you got to be with me, guys. I want you to be awake. It's through Jesus. And we make contact. We find points of contact with the people, right? And we find points of contact so we can share the gospel, so we can share the good news of Jesus with them, because that's what God wants us to do, to share the good news of Jesus. There was a salesman who had just blown a big sale, and he said to a sales manager, that goes to show you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And the sales manager said, no, no, no you got it all wrong. Your job isn't to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. And see, our job is not to save people. That's Jesus' job. God saves, right? Jesus saves people, right? Our job is to go out into the world and present Jesus. That's our job. 
to go out in the world and present Jesus. And maybe along the way through our lifestyle, someone will look at your life and say, what do you have that I don't have? Please tell me. Please, they're thirsty. They're thirsty right there. They're thirsty. They're ready to be shared. When they find their own gods no longer satisfy them, they're thirsty. And they're ready to share. They're thirsty. And they will find that out sooner or later. Their own gods don't satisfy. There's no satisfaction with them. There's only one that can satisfy. But the results are all with God, right? We leave the results with God. He's the one that saves. We find in the next two verses, we're not going to read them, when he mentioned the resurrection of the dead, that some sneered, some mocked, and some believed. And it mentioned the two, two uh, names of two people who believed, and then there's others that believed. But I'm wondering if some of those people who sneered and mocked, that a year down the road, two years or five years down the road, because of this imprint by that moment in Athens, that they came and put their faith and trust in Jesus. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know. But we leave the results to God, right? We're not concerned about the results. God is the person that saves. We just have to do our job, what God has called us to do, right? You ready to have another week on mission, right? Ready to look at our mezuzah? And we look at it, what do we say? It's, what is it? Mission time, right? Good. You're, mission time. Because this week you're going to come in contact with all kinds of people. Waiters and waitresses, store clerks, people waiting in line with you, construction workers, um, family members, co-workers, just all kinds of people. When we come in contact with people, we're there as your follower of Jesus to represent Jesus and to present Jesus Christ. That we're to be on mission. Not to look for signs, not say mission time all the time with every person we come in contact with. We're to be on mission and looking for those opportunities every time we talk to someone. God, give me that time. Give me right now. Give me an opportunity. It's mission time all the time. We don't look for signs. We don't look, we look just to be obey God. And he tells us, go make disciples. Take the good news. Share it with everyone we come in contact with. So it's mission time for every one of us. So put on your mezuzah. If you missed last week, listen to last week's message. Our mezuzah is to remind us. The Jewish families had a mezuzah at the top of their doorpost, and they put in scriptures in there. And it was to remind them that they belonged to God, and they were going to live their lives according to those scriptures. And our mezuzah is to remind us that we're on mission time. It's not about my life. It's about being on mission for Jesus, to represent Jesus and to present Jesus to a world who desperately needs to hear about him, right? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. And we thank you so much because, God, you are so, so, so good all the time. And we thank you so much for the life that you've given us. And I thank you, Lord, for each person here. Uh, Lord, I pray for that person who may not know Jesus Christ, their Savior. I pray through this that they realize the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And they simply come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, Lord, they would come and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Trust him as their Savior, that he died for them. And Lord, they would find forgiveness of sins, hope in eternity with you, become a child of God, the Holy Spirit would indwell them, Lord. And all those things happen to them in that one instant moment of time, Lord. We praise God for that. So I pray for that person that may not know you're not sure yet, Lord. Help them to understand they need Jesus. That they will stand before Jesus one day and they're going to have to give an account of their life. I need Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that, that they would understand they need him. I pray for all of us that are here, Lord. We have the message to get people ready for that moment they're going to stand before Jesus. And it's only one message. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. The gospel message. 
That's the most important message that we can share with someone. That, Lord, you would give us opportunities to share that. But, Lord, before we start unloading all of our biblical information on them, Lord, we find these points of contact. We find out about them a little bit, who they are, their religious backgrounds, their hopes, their dreams, their visions. Lord, and where have they been in their life and all those kind of things. And then, Lord, you would give us those points of contact so we might reach these people for Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us. But, Lord, help, let, let us not be led falsely that, Lord, that just being good around people is going to lead them to heaven. It will not. That sooner or later, Lord, as we have those points of contact, we've got to open our mouth and introduce them to the one true God, how they can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. That we'd open our mouth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be bold for you. Help us, Lord, because, Lord, no matter who comes in our life, no matter where the people have been, we understand one thing, that you are mighty to save. There's no one like you. There's no one who has sinned too much, gone too far from you, whatever they've done, that you cannot reach them and save them. Lord, nothing is impossible for you. It may be impossible for us, but not for you. And so, Lord, we not, would not put limits on your salvation. We would not put limits on your grace and your mercy, on your love for anyone. That, Lord, we would be bold and share with all people, without reservation, without any prejudice. We would say, God, they need to hear about Jesus. And leave the rest with you, who you're going to save and who you're not. That's up to you. That's up to you. Our job is to represent Jesus, to present Jesus to everyone. And I hope we, Lord, would be bold enough challenge of rise to the challenge by the power of the Holy Spirit and do that in our lives. To represent, to present Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Help us to be an unstoppable people and an unstoppable church, Lord, as the early church was. As Paul and Silas were on their, are on their second missionary journey. Help us to be people like that. Lord, we love and praise you, and I pray for each person here, Lord, this morning. But Lord, as we, as we continue to worship with you, let us realize that our God can do the impossible in people's lives no matter where anyone is, that he is mighty to save. And we give you all the glory and honor and praise. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name.